Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Did you ever tell him who you were? This is one of the only times. I said, buddy, I'm about to blow your mind. I said, you're not going <laughs> to you're not gonna believe this, you know? And so I tell him, and he's like, oh, are you kidding me, man? And so now, like, there's only three of us playing. And the other guy's being quiet. And now he's asking me all these questions, you know? He's asking me all these while questions about the show. While you're playing virtual poker. And he's such a fan of the show. I'm folding pocket aces because I don't want to <laughs> knock them out. I'm having more fun <laughs> listening to this guy, right? The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. So, basically... <clears throat> Excuse me for coughing. Basically... The new game on this show is million to one. I mean, people have been writing in with strange coincidental sightings right. of people whose mothers they knew in high school and stuff like that. That's 20 million to one. That's 100 million to one. Are I, I, you kidding me with that? I thought he was going into the metaverse just to like prepare for a new show or something. Not that he's actually just trying to escape his own reality. <laughs> right. just playing poker. And, he, and he meets a guy who's the biggest fan of My Name is Earl from Australia. It's changed his yeah. life. It's right. just, yeah, he became a lawyer. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's just... Human rights lawyer. Yeah. Unbelievable story. should have story. taken him out for Burger King. And I was sorry, I didn't have room in the clip to get it, but the guy afterwards... After, oh, yeah. Do you have kids? <laughs> yeah, I got out. I got out. All right, so let me get to... I was going to open with Kevin Durant and how great Kevin Durant is. Let me just say this briefly. For those of you who are paying attention to the NBA, the 20,000 of you who are paying attention to the NBA before the playoffs start, you, 20,000 people and Wilbon, are paying attention. Kevin Durant was, for five or six years, the greatest basketball player on the planet, better player than LeBron James, because he's younger, three or four or five years younger than LeBron James. And because LeBron James has to use power to achieve his goals, and he's great at it. He's, his body, he was blessed with one of the great athletic bodies of all time, like 6'8", 250, and like a gazelle. Durant doesn't, have to, Durant doesn't have to do that. Durant just glides to a spot. Durant, his shot cannot be blocked, cannot be defended. You can, if you're 6'10", you can defend LeBron James. You can try to defend LeBron James. LeBron James going in a straight line. And he's a powerful man. That's what he does. I'm not knocking LeBron James. one of the greatest players of all time. A greater complete player than Kevin Durant. I'm not saying that. I'm saying Kevin Durant is an unstoppable offensive player. He's 6'11", with guard skills, and he goes straight up in the air. And his shots, all of his shots, are good. I don't mean they, I don't mean they make baskets, but he doesn't force shots. He takes these smooth shots, he glides. It is the difference, honestly, between Federer and Nadal. That's sure. what we're talking about in terms of body type and how you play the game and, and what you look like. Durant may not be the greatest player in basketball. Now, he was with the Olympics, the championships at, at um, Golden State. They won before him and they won a- with, after him, but they won with him too, twice. And he was the finals MVP. Not Curry, not Thompson. Kevin Durant, or as he would say, I'm Kevin Durant, you all know who I am. He won the Olympics. I mean, he's, you know, on that stage, he was the best player. He's still... 85, 90% of what he was at his best, he's going to Phoenix. If he's healthy, if he's healthy, they're going to win the title. They're the best team. 
because they've got a really good point guard, Chris Paul, who always gets hurt in the playoffs, but he's really good. They got a really good scorer in Devin Booker. And they got a really good rebounder in DeAndre Ayton. Well, who's got more? The answer nobody's got more than they've got. And they just caught Durant as he jumped off the back of a bus. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Durant doesn't have to score more points or get more rebounds or more assists than everybody else. He's not Russell Westbrook. That's not important to him. But when you need the points, he's going to be in a position to get them. I mean, if you don't think that a healthy Kevin Durant makes Phoenix the best team, you're just playing. It's like Wilbon yesterday. Oh, they have to get past Denver. They have to get past the Clippers. No, 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 no. No, they're better than everybody. That's all I really wanted to say. We can move on from that. Sure. Were you surprised that he didn't want to go to Dallas? I wasn't surprised at all. I think he's very happy to be away from Kyrie Irving. And I I don't, he's a chronically unhappy human being. Sure. Kevin Durant, chronically unhappy. That's why he goes from team to team. And he won't be happy in Phoenix, but he'll be happy being away from Kyrie Irving and all of that. And he was part of that. He enabled that. He signed up with Kyrie Irving. And don't, don't ever think that he's not responsible for this in a large way because he is. I'm not one of these guys who just gives everybody a pass. Anyway, that's, that's, that's not important. I thought you were going to open up with the guilty verdict. Oh, yeah. The Murdoch? Yeah, Alex Murdoch. Murdoch. No, I mean that's... Murdoch country? Yeah, that's, that's where near where Chan lives, isn't so th- it? So this is, to, to triangulate this for you, this is in between Charleston and the low country that we visited right. in that Blue, uh, Bluffton, Buford area. So this would be Colleton uh, County... Uh, for you, if you're coming out of Aiken, it might be, you know, an hour southeast to that. This would be an hour north of sort of that area that you've been to. Everybody said that he made, he when he was on the stand, he did so well that they thought he would be acquitted, but he was not acquitted. He didn't see the outfit changes. No. No, the, the video from uh, Paul's phone. Oh, that's where right. You see that the dad is, you know, you, you get different looks as to what he was wearing when he was uh, seen at the house earlier before the crime. Do you have any doubt that he happened. did it? I have zero doubts. That's why the, okay. the, the jury took like less than three right. hours to come up Do you have any doubt this. that the person who was arrested for the murders uh, in Idaho did it? Do you have any doubt about that? I'm less familiar with that case. But no, I, for that one, I'm, I'm more up to speed. No, I have no doubts about no that doubt. one. No, this, yeah. the, the Murdoch story is a story that's no tied to just American history as you look at the influence of one family over a small, poor county. That would be, that would be like Dynasty. Yes. That would be like yeah. the show Dynasty. When you peeled back the Most layers of, of the people story, yeah. who they arrest for murder... They did it. Yeah. <laughs> they did it. Yeah. Good from police teenagers. work. They did it. Okay. The other day on PTI, this is my sneaker part. Do you remember the sneakers that I want? Oh, yeah. So, okay. We're going we're gonna to move past big news, and you're just going to go to asking for free sneakers. Now, isn't that the name of the show? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, isn't and today's and show named Asking for Free and Sneakers? Ten and a half, medium. <laughs> isn't that the name of the show? Yeah, no, please read. Uh, is this Kirk's email? Kirk Taylor. Kirk Taylor. Who's does 990v5s. So, I shouted out. On the PTI show, I went, hey, Kirk Taylor. And I put my hand up to my ear in the sign of a phone. I said, give me a call. Call me. Kirk Taylor. So I get this. Kirk Taylor, Global Entertainment Marketing, New Balance. Pretty high up in the chain, isn't it? I heard Mr. Tony wants me to call him. Heard he's looking for some product. Let me know. My number's listed below. Thanks for the shout out. What do we want? You want the 990 V5, which is the updated version of the classic. I want, wait, the 990 V5. Yeah, once you get Kirk on the phone, I I think he's going to know exactly what you're looking for because he has sent this to you before. Okay. This is another email we got. 
It's fantastic. Mr. Kornheiser, my name is Kirk Taylor. I'm a PGA professional in New Mexico. And my wife and I were just watching PTI. <laughs> you asked for me to call you, but I don't have your number. We enjoy your show very much. God bless. How great is that? How great is that? <laughs> I'm sure he's got a pair of New Balance hanging around the shop. <laughs> it's just so great. In New Mexico, well, you should have said where in New Mexico. I mean, the club pro? Yeah. I mean, where? Las Cruces, you know. We need more Albuquerque. details. Yeah, I want to know where it is. Yeah. That's so great. Love that. Okay. I mentioned on this show Hoka. Right. Greg talked about Hoka. I mentioned that I'd never heard of Hoka. Wilbon was wearing Hoka. Yeah, he swears by And Wilbon, Wilbon, what did he say yesterday? I got four pair in every house. <laughs> a a few pair fewer than Jim Hughes, who's been wearing them for five Is plus years Is that right, now. in Milwaukee? Yeah. yeah. Okay. From Alice Baker. Alice here on behalf of Hoka. We were thrilled to hear you mention Hoka in today's episode, and we'd love to send you uh, all that you'd like. Let me know if there's a favorite pair or a new model you had your eyes on. We'd be happy to send them to you. Alice. All that you would like. That's a wonderful phrase. From Ben Rosario. As a long time little, imagine my joy when the great Greg Garcia walked into your home wearing his Hoka shoes. I mean, Greg Garcia wearing Hoka's in the presence of Tony Kornheiser. For you see, I am the founder and executive director of a professional running team in Flagstaff, Arizona, called Northern Arizona Elite, and Hoka is our title sponsor. The woman to whom I'm related by marriage serves as our director of ops. For eight years, I also coached the team, and we produced our first Olympian in 2020. Her name is Alephine Tuliamuk, and she won the Olympic Trials Marathon. How about that? Wait, wait. She didn't win something that happened last weekend around the corner from you. She won the Olympic <laughs> Trials Marathon in her Hoka shoes. So, of course, I immediately fired off an email to the good folks at HQ to get you a pair of ten and a halfs. They're on their way. Your life will never be the same. Could I be the official marathon coach of the Tony Kornheiser show, Ben Rosario? Absolutely. And they shows a picture of her winning, breaking the Isn't tape. that phenomenal? And this is not even close to all the email we've gotten about sneakers. <laughs> um, and it just sort of reminds me, and I say this a lot, I don't know who I'm talking to. I pray someone is listening, but I don't know. I'm just talking to the people in the room, you know? Right. And, I'm, and I get these skeptical looks of contempt and disgust from my son because I'm asking for free things. I wish I could describe the smile on your face. How happy you are to receive these emails. It so, makes me so happy. The greatest one is, my name is Kirk Taylor. I'm a PGA professional in Mexico. My wife and I were just watching PTI. He asked me to call you, but I don't have your number. It's just so great. Yes. Now, Kirk Taylor could be a fairly common name. Could There's be. No question about that. But, but the guy I was aiming at yeah. is the guy I got. Yes. You know, Cupid, draw back your bow and let your arrow go. <laughs> Thank you, know, you Come on. Cook. That's what I need. So I thought that was interesting. We'll take a break. Uh, Jason Lockenfora when we return, and he's going to be very upset at what I want to talk about. And so, of course, I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers <laughs> and Lamar Jackson. What, you know, I want to talk about this. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews or coverage of all the biggest stories in the nba our new show is the place to be five days a week download and follow beyond the arc on apple podcasts spotify and wherever you get your favorite podcasts you're listening to the tony kornheiser show this is a band called mindy valentine 
One of the members of the band who plays bass and slide guitar, Jay Johnson, sent us this. Mindy Valentine is comprised of Missy Pigeon, Abby Heyer, Sam Perduta, Jay Johnson, and Maddie Clausen. This is a song called Sugar Baby. And Jay writes, Missy came back to the area after farming in California with a bunch of new songs as Maddie and I were finishing up my solo album, Four Quartets. We added Sam and Abby shortly thereafter. We've been playing around Philly and the greater area since, excited to take it on the road next month. If any Philly area listeners would like to celebrate with us, um, you can find them every Thursday in March. That would have been yesterday. Yeah, last night, yeah. At the Tin Can Bar in the Port Richmond neighborhood of Philadelphia. Michael, do you know that, the Tin Can Bar? I don't. You know, so it's lovely. Again, this is called Sugar Baby, and it plays in Jason Locke and Fora. And I'm going to start with this because it's sort of the least... The most speculative act, most speculative, actually. Jalen Carter of Georgia was said potentially to be the number one pick, either by the Bears or by whoever the Bears, and they would be smart to trade the pick to and collect some other things. He was arrested um, for reckless driving, speeding, in the course of an investigation uh, into the deaths of two people in the Georgia football family. He apparently told a false story to the police and he left the scene. And he had a lot more to do with it than he ever said. I'm not saying he's responsible for the deaths. Uh, He's been charged with misdemeanors, so nobody thinks he's responsible for the deaths. But it casts a light on him that he hadn't had before. What does this mean for him in the draft? (sighs) Well, um, I don't say this to demean in any way whatever role he did play in this um and i don't say it to belittle um the circumstances and the idea of how reckless it would be to be basically street racing yeah um and seeing who could go the fastest and swerving and doing this in something that was anything but um, a, a, a situation or a circumstance where there were guardrails in place, right? This wasn't at a racetrack. Um, there's a blood alcohol level of um, the young lady who was, you know, driving the other car that was way above the legal limit. I mean, there, there's a lot of um, poor decision-making that went into this entire series of events occurring. But do I think that this is going to drastically alter his uh, his draft landscape based on? I I I, I don't, Tony. Yeah. Um, nor I do I. You're talking about a talent of this magnitude, someone who I think most you know most front office people in most organizations would have said you know that's if not the first pick in the draft absolutely positively a top three pick, even if there is a run on quarterbacks. And it only takes one team, right, to still be be willing to either trade up there to get him or to just take him. Um, we'll see what his combine, you know, the rest of his combine looks like he is back in Indianapolis. But I suspect that this has a minimal role in the overall sort of uh, – 
you know, the, the overall landscape, the overall panorama of how Jalen Carter begins his NFL career. I tend to agree with that. There's always a team that will take anybody, and they're praying for him to fall. I think that what will happen is um, Kirby Smart will be interviewed at great length. Sure. And they will say, you know, just level with us. Is this problematic, you know, to tell us? I think that I think you want to go in with your eyes open, and I think teams will do that. I agree with you, so we don't have to dwell on this. Let me go to Lamar Jackson, and you and I talk about Lamar Jackson. Oh, yeah. Every single time. John Harbaugh is getting me angry already. <laughs> Every single public statement 200%. is a kiss to Lamar Jackson. <laughs> he's going to be our quarterback, 200%. He wants to be our quarterback. I love him. Now he's got the GM smooching him, too. Oh, sure. Contract's unsigned. He's been doing this for over a year. It has apparently made Two no years. progress. Yeah, he's, he's made no progress publicly kissing up to Lamar Jackson. What are your feelings about this? I, I mean, I understand why he's saying what he's saying. I understand why the GM is saying what he's saying. Um, they have boxed themselves into quite a, a corner here. And at this stage, perception sort of uh, – I don't think perception is reality because what, what they're trying to get people to perceive for anyone who's paid attention to it – they know it's BS, but they they have to spew the BS because they're, they're now playing a game with 31 other teams, you know, and 31 other owners. And trying to market this player there, you know, they, they want to take away any sense of, you know, why, we, we, we never had an issue with this guy. Like, why could we ever, like, he's, he's, He's our guy. He's the best. We just don't want to pay him, you know, and you can pay him and he'll be your guy and he'll be the best for you. But, you know, our owner doesn't really want to go there, but but your owner should, you know, and, and here's why. And, you know, we got five years out of him and we're going to trade him, but we don't really want to do it. It's just this unfortunate thing that fell from the sky where we just could never get anything done with him, you know, and. We tried, and, and he tried, and we want him 200%, and he wants us 200%. But the guy who controls the purse strings, like, the, he can never get on the same page as him. And so you can have him. You know, he can, he, you should see what he can do for you. He's the best. We love him. He's our quarterback for life. He's a Raven for life, except we're going to trade him in a week. Like, <laughs> I mean, it, it's, you know, uh, okay. I get it. Like, I, I really do. Um, but this thing, this situation has been so mismanaged for so long. They had so many different sweet spots where they could have just ponied up and paid what the market was then, or maybe a smooch more, and it would have been done. And, and you know why you don't fret over that? Because nine months later, six months later, 12 months later, it's going to start looking more and more like a bargain. Even if he's not 2019 Lamar, it's still going to look like a bargain compared to 2022 Dak, 2022 Russ, 2022 Aaron Rodgers. You know, I mean, like you can just you can you can go down the line, but they they didn't pony up and they did try to take advantage of him and they did talk too much and whine too much and cry too much about him not having an agent and they did hide behind the salary cap. And the reality is, the last four years, no team has spent less money on their offense than the Baltimore Ravens. And through the totality 
of Lamar Jackson's five years where he only made a total of $33 million, Steve Bashotti was never once in the top ten in payroll dollars, actual dollars, not funny money, not salary cap money, not boogeyman money, actual dollars out of his revenue streams put into the payroll was never one top ten. But these people still have the audacity and the gumption to stand in front of these microphones when they get a chance and tell you, we always spend cap over cash. Nobody wants to win more than us. Nobody's all in to win a Super Bowl more than us. Nobody tries harder than us. Nobody's more invested than us. Really? Well, you got a funny way of showing it. When, yeah, you get what you pay for. Tony, do you know how much they spent on their wide receiver room last year collectively? Can't be much. In American dollars? Can't be much. $5.3 million total. Yeah. For the totality from their de facto starter, Rashad Bateman, to the dudes they had on the practice squad, $5.3 million. But tell me again how much you maximized Lamar Jackson's window. Tell me again how much you were dying to win. 32nd in payroll, 20th in payroll, 19th in payroll, 18th in payroll, 11th in payroll. I mean, get out of here. Get out of here. At the same time, you're getting $600 million in free money from the state to, to, to gussy up your stadium and give you a new long-term lease. So let's put another, I don't know, $500 million on the worth of, of your franchise. Maybe it's closer to $700 million on the worth of your franchise. But you, 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 you're bottom, literally bottom of the, the league in wide receiver spending three of the last four years. Like, okay, whatever. I'm not going to follow that. That was really good. Um, I know uh, that we all have a certain amount of fed upness with Aaron Rodgers to this point. But I just wanted to ask this. Is, in fact, is everybody waiting? Is he the first domino to fall? Is everybody waiting for him? All the other teams with all the other signings, are they waiting for him or no? No, I, I think it's small market. I mean, for him. Uh, you're looking at age, you're looking at a bloated contract, you're looking at all kinds of drama, all kinds of baggage. Yeah. You know what I mean? What's he going to say to McAfee this week when he when he goes out and, and looks like a broken down 40-year-old quarterback? Who's he going to blame next week? Like, uh, you know, whose podcast is he going to go on to throw shade at? Like, it's a lot. You know what I mean? Like, who does he want to bring with him? Do we have to sign David Bakhtiari? Do we have to sign Randall Cobb? You know what I mean? Like, what? What? Like, I, I I don't think most teams have a stomach for it, and I think teams that went back and watched the film last year, are like sixty million, I would I wouldn't give him thirty. Mm. So, uh, but it only you know it only takes one, uh, and there there will be more than one. He shouldn't be the first one. You know, Derek Carr should be the first one. I don't know what Derek Carr is waiting for. Like when the only teams that talk to you last week are still the only teams that want to talk to you this week at the Combine, that's your market, bro. It is what it is. If you want to wait for somebody to fall down in the shower in August or whatever, you know, at training camp and create more of a market for you, I mean, you're entitled to do that. But this is it. You're at the head of the class. This dude's sleeping in a coffin for a week. You're the only quarterback out there. Get her done. Get her done. This is so you know, good. whatever it is, so it's probably not getting better. You you probably should do it. Go work for Woody Johnson one year, twenty five million, whatever. Um, 
So yeah, I, I, I. But getting back to Rogers, like, I, I, like he would want you to believe that he's holding the NFL. He's 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 got the entire league at bay. Yeah. And he put all these front offices on hold for five days while he did whatever he says he did. Um, and, and now he's going to pop back out, and everybody's going to be chasing him around like the end of Benny Hill, and it's going to be amazing. But it's it's not that. It's you know he, he has. Great. Three, four, five teams. So great. So great. And they are who they are. And they're going to, yeah. you know, they'll be willing to pay the freight on that contract. And again, most won't. And my suspicion is the team that actually ends up with him will not be a team that we've come to, um, you know, proclaim as one of the best and brightest and smartest in football. There'll be, there'll be a distinct air of desperation to this whole thing. Uh, and I don't think it's going to go all that swimmingly. And I don't think he's going to be there for more than one year. Uh, but he, as we've been talking about for quite some time, absolutely positively wants to flip the bird to Goody and Mark Murphy and all of them on the way out. He wants to show that it's me, not them, and I'm going to win, and they're going to lose without me. And, you know, I told you so. And, you know, he's, he's, he's trying to get that second ring somewhere else. But unlike Peyton Manning, I don't think he's going to find it. Plug your radio show for us. This is so uh, great. I Yammer and Jibber Jabber like this from 2 to 6 daily on 105 to 7 The Fan in Baltimore. Or you could also find us on the Odyssey app. You can find me um, doing the gambling stuff at uh, Sportsline. And you can find me, I think, probably in the next couple of weeks. Back in the back post. Back in the Washington Post good. as we gear up for draft season, Tone, which is year-round now. Good, good. People good, are good. pining about seventh-round picks and Mr. Irrelevant, uh, <laughs> even in August. Love it. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great weekend. There's nobody better. There's nobody as good. He's just, he's, yeah, he's the best. Uh, Barry's Verlugo, when we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Mandy Valentine. Did I say Mindy Valentine? Oh, we may have. It's Mandy, it's Mandy Valentine. Valentine. Mandy is, uh, remember that song, Mandy? Yes. Barry Manilow? <laughs> Your old pal. Should be Mandy Manilow would be a great name for a band. <laughs> Mandy Manilow. Mandy Valentine. They're really good. This is called Old Baby. They're in the Philadelphia area. I like this kind of music. It's I, really good. I'm a sucker for this kind of music. And I apologize to Jay for saying Mindy Valentine. Mandy Valentine's, it's a little better. At least I got it right. That'd be if somebody said, thanks, Timmy. And I said, well, that's, that's Tony. Oh, yeah. Michael, if people like Mandy Valentine want to send us their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonyquanizershow.com. Barry's Verluga joins us now. There's a bunch of things I want to talk about, but I'm, I'm, I think I may be going down a blind alley here, but I'm not sure when I start this. You write a lot about skiing. Um, you're the only person I know that writes a lot about skiing. Michaela Schifrin, you write about her a lot. You've got this lovely piece, somebody named Jesse Diggins, 
who goes out there and essentially is a marathon runner on skis and leaves everything she's got every single race and winning or losing doesn't matter. Do you ski? I just got back from a family ski trip to Colorado. Yes, I do. Did you have goals as a skier as a kid? Were you a competitive skier? No, I wasn't and am not. My my daughter is, I mean, to the extent that you can be a skier in what we guess call the mid-Atlantic. Yeah. Um, she's a ski racer at a little um, hill in Pennsylvania that's 90 minutes away from D.C. Um, and, and But, Tony, for, for me on those things, like these athletes that are Olympic athletes and, you know, they come into our consciousness every four years for two weeks – if they come in at all, I, I do kind of enjoy covering them and recognizing them during times that they normally aren't when they're, they, you know, they're toiling in obscurity, but still putting in the work. Um, and, and more than that, like just completely, um, you know, just absorbed and all the effort and all this stuff, um, all these achievements that they're doing mostly in Europe um, and they're not in our consciousness at all. I, I kind of like recognizing that in the, in the down years. Yeah. But I mean, you also did a column about Ovechkin when he left to go see his dad and his dad ultimately passed away. And you talked about having a father who laced up your skates. You must've been, you know, where you grow, you grew up in Massachusetts, right? It's cold yep. there and, so it just occurred to me you had to be a skater and you had to be a skier. I was, I was neither of those things. I mean, I wrote a sports column for a long time, and I understand when you write about skiing. And it's at the Olympics, and it's every four years when you're someone like me. But your heart is in it in a different way, it seemed to me. For sure, for sure. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't deny that at all. Um, and it is somewhat based in, you know, those cold New England mornings. Um, yeah. You know, we did we had a pond at the end of the street that froze in those days. And that's where you skated and, and, um, you know, coming in, uh, and getting hot chocolate and going back out, um, you know, uh, on a typical day after school, like, yes, uh, all of that informs, um, those, those columns. Um, but I do, you know, you know, Tony, from having done this job so long, um, that there's, always going to be the NFL and baseball is a thing for me and golf is a thing for me. And, um, obviously the caps have been a a thing for me, um, to keep it fresh, not just for your readers, but in a selfish way for yourself, I, I, I do like to, to mix it up. And that, that can, now we know exactly how many people read every single thing because you, the, the number of clicks are, are undeniable. They're quantifiable in a way that, you know, when when we only had the print edition, we figured if the circulation was a million, then a million people read your piece, and and that obviously isn't the case. So maybe you're sacrificing something like that. But I I do like to to zig when you know maybe others would zag. Did your dad lace up your skates when you were four and five years old? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't a huge hockey player, but yes, that that was that was a thing. I think some of it, Tony's. Um, that with that Ovechkin column, um, more than my personal experience with with skating and hockey, um, many many years ago, I think probably ten or eleven years ago, I, I went on the Capitals' dad's trip where they um, 
the dads go on the team flight and they uh, get a suite at a couple of road games and it's a bonding thing. And I, I had a kind of an all access thing where I was on those flights and in those, in the locker room and, um, and, and just seeing the bond that these guys had uh, and the stories that they were telling, a lot of them were Canadian and, you know, we're driving across Alberta to, to get, get to this game a hundred miles away through snow and, and stuff. I would say more than my personal experience that that trip really informed mm. a lot of of the relationship between hockey dads and and, and hockey kids because as a, a small you know as an eight-year-old a 10-year-old a 12-year-old who can't get yourself to anything and needs all that equipment you're so reliant on your parents in a way that you know for a basketball player you've, you've you got a hoop somewhere and you'd roll out a ball and you've got shorts. Like it's, it's a little bit different. No, I understand that. I mean, we, one of the great things we found out on this show was that Buster only, you know, knew all about cows because he was a, his family owned cows, dairy farmer. In fact, uh, he took over the farm and gave it to his sister. And I just, you know, when you read these things, when you find them interesting and you find the person who's writing them interesting, when they're not just rambling nonsense that glorifies <laughs> someone's ego, you know, then you, then you look at it and you wonder, I mean, cause the skiing, honestly, you write about, you not only write about skiing more than anyone writes about skiing in a mainstream newspaper, but you write about it really well. And it, it, it felt like it was in your heart that you probably were a skier of some sort. I've never skied in my life. So I, I figured you had to be a skier, right? Yeah, and yes, for sure. And, you know, Tony, it also, it's almost like a mini beat over 20 years, um, having first covered Olympic skiing in, in, um, at the Turin Games in 06 and following these people through their careers. It, 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 yes, is, is it a part of me? Um, is it a part of our family? Like, I, I, guys who covered skiing, my, my buddies who I've covered skiing with, over the years, Bill Pennington from the New York Times and Tim Layden, longtime Sports Illustrated guy. Like I've I've been at Olympics with them. They're a little bit older. They're between our ages, mm-hmm. and and they would say, you know, do you want to have kids who come back and join um, join you on vacation? Be a ski family because all you have to do is if they love that sport, it's a lifelong sport. Say you can't afford to rent uh, a place in Colorado, but I can, you'll come and join us for a week and, and we'll get um, time together. Even as, as you grow older. I mean, that's a big part of it for me. Um, we love the sport. It's such a great way to, to be outside uh, in the winter. And then, you know, the stories, um, Tony, you know, this, like sometimes the sport is ir- irrelevant. If the characters are, are interesting. And, and I've found, Michaela Schifrin to be just fascinating in terms of how openly introspective she always is. Um, she's about to set, uh, to tie Ingemar Stenmark's record for the most World Cup wins ever for either, um, either gender. And she, just to, when you can take an athlete from, I first met her when she was 17, probably 16, maybe. Um, and now she's in her late twenties and the, the, full when you can understand and absorb the full arc of somebody's career and life and and maturing and the same thing goes with Ovechkin like I've been here the entirety of his 
18 years in the NHL, like that is valuable. Um, it's great to have that experience and be able to reflect on things when these people were barely adults and now like yeah. Ovechkin has two kids and, you know, and his dad has died. Um, that's, I, I love having that perspective over yeah. time. I wanted to get to, well, I'll just mention this. I mean, again, I did this a long time. The greatest interviews are boxers. The best. It's not even close. Boxers lay their souls out there for you because boxing is the hardest, stupidest thing that anybody can do. And it's boxers. And I read when I read your skiing things, uh, I am reminded how individual athletes are always better than team, not always, but mostly better than team athletes. And that people in those sorts of sports can tell you about their lives in ways that, you know, that, that they're not cliched. They're not cliched. I'll move on. Best story in the paper in the last week and a half is a story about a poll by the NFL Players Association that said the Washington team is unbelievable <laughs> junk, as Wilbon would say. They get F ratings in F. Did you read that story? Is that story oh, not great? Well, and, and it, it, I love, like, um, they didn't just get F. They got, like, F minus. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Was there room for an F plus where they were, like, slightly, slightly better than just god-awful? Um, oh, I think it, you know, it made me think that um, – and reminded me because I drive out to Ashburn, you know, with quite a bit of regularity, and go to that dump of a facility. And then, you know, when you travel around for the playoffs, or if you drive over to Baltimore to visit the Ravens at their facility, um, you see how different things are. Um, it is just a low rent operation. It's they are so easy to kick and make fun of because. Um, they've been so bad on the field for so long and they can't get out of their way off the field for so long. And there are serious issues, obviously, um, surrounding Daniel Snyder and the sale is a, is a really big deal. But players know, like players talk to other players. Um, and when you're when you're polling uh, members of the NFL Players Association and you come in. 32 out of 32 basically across the board in terms of what are your facilities like? How do you treat families? What's the um, environment, working environment there? Um, that's serious stuff. I mean, you, you, anybody, if, if you weren't selling the team, you would have to look at that and say, what am I, what am I doing wrong here? And then I, just physically, Tony, you probably haven't been there for, for years, but that place is not different than it has been um almost since its inception it's, yeah. it's a strip mall uh off the side of a road mm -hmm. in a you know in exurbia um and it's not befitting of a of an nfl franchise it, it really isn't this is i will just say this uh, columnists have opinions about things you know 87 guys can look at dan snyder and write 87 different things all of them are terrible but that's just their opinions this is a survey of players who this is so true. It's just so true. They come in last in everything, just about. They get an F for treatment of players' families, D plus for nutritional offerings, F minus for athletic training room. If you're a player, if your athletic training room is F minus, you're not gonna win. This is no. this is the truest thing ever written about the Washington football team, in my opinion, right? Yeah, yes, Just, because it's not, it's like you said, it's not 
me, Barry Skrulut, no! Washington Post saying, oh, I think this, like that, that mm. you know, I'd like to think that means something. This is, and it's not one player. It's over a thousand. Say, like, <laughs> I was treated terribly when I was in, in Washington. It is a cohort of professional NFL players who some of them have played in multiple places. All of them have talked to each other. About, I mean, professional athletes um, in any sport are the greatest, like, largest knitting circle uh, on the planet because they all yap to each other about like um oh man when we were in dallas we were treated like kings like we had this on the road and everybody had their not just one seat on the plane but two seats on the plane I, i've seen this in baseball too because it's been an issue with the nationals how, how do they treat um the players and, and their families so it's it is true 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 you cannot <laughs> so duck great. it from it so it's, great. it's an amazing it's so not surprising, but in a, in, a, in a world in which there's so many meaningful things written about the commanders right now because of what's going on with the sale and what um, Daniel Snyder's trying to guard against and, and um, all of that stuff. Um, but it is, it's important. It's important for whoever comes in here and buys this. Fabulous to story. look at that and say, that's not going to last. No, just, we can change that. You think you go, your place is a dump? What do you see this? <laughs> it's just so great. Barry, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Talk soon. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it. Barry's Verluga, boys and girls. We'll come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Get your emails, faxes, and your notes. Here comes Mr. Tony's mailbag on a reason for all of your folks. You think that guy can sing? That's Darius Rucker. <laughs> yeah, he can sing. I'm not going to let Darius play the weekend at the uh, Pebble Beach Pro when it's designated next year. Yeah. By the way, Hootie and the Blowfish put out this tweet. It's an old poster from them, clearly before they hit the big time. Live at six. <laughs> yeah. But it was like, a, they were like, yeah, good you know it's them. old when it's a homemade poster for That's us. That's good. Love um, that. Do the Bethesda Bagel ad for us. Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. And before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, my grandma and your grandma were sitting by the fire. My grandma told your grandma I'm going to set your flag on fire. Talking about, hey now, hey now, Ico, Ico all day. Giacomo Fino, Anane, Giacomo Fiane. It's, it's the Dixie Cups. It's great. I needed how many words on that, too? Yeah, My two. grandma. <laughs> that's all I need. Yeah, yeah, I was all re singing it to Hoka, Hoka, <laughs> Hoka, Hoka. <laughs> Thanks to our guests today, Barry's Verluga, Jason Lock and Four. Thanks to our sponsors, Meundays, a great read by Michael, Rocket Money. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. Got some email here from Lee Gordon, who signs it, Chuck and Roxy episode number 80, West Hartford, Connecticut, and Boynton Beach, Florida. Not only has the great Joe Arrow met the great zucchini, so have several other littles because the magnificent summer squash made a surprise visit to Jingle Fest last June. He did not get up on stage to sing or do any magic tricks. He just hung out in the crowd with the rest of the hoi polloi. I didn't know that. The did not know zucchini. that either. So I found this out when I awkwardly introduced myself to him. Really? Yeah. It's great. And he see, writes, your hands are full. <laughs> Lee Gordon says, the last time I attended the Honda Classic, I got to see Tiger. But the current field is full of guys you've never heard of. DG might have gone. He didn't go. But despite the venue being just up the road from Boynton Beach, LG, that's me, didn't bother. Mudball. <clears throat> from David uh, Consiglio. 
I hope I pronounced that correctly. And again, this is, we're getting to the million to one shots. The last time I wrote to the show was over 15 years ago, but the strange coincidence game compels me to do so again. I have a family story that I believe would win if this were a contest. My grandfather was born and raised in a small rural community of 5,000 people in Eastern Italy. Like many young Italian adults in the early 20th century, he came to America to seek a new life. He married and raised three sons. Two of his sons, my father and his uncle Vinny, were sent to the European theater during World War II. While my father served his time landing on Omaha Beach and freezing in the Battle of the Bulge, so heroic, Vinny, I inserted that, Vinny ended up in other parts of Europe where he helped to liberate two concentration camps. One of the concentration camps held people of many nationalities, including Italians. Vinny was eager to meet anyone who might be from the region where his father was born and raised. After a bit of back and forth with some camp prisoners, Vinny was able to locate one man in the concentration camp who was from his father's actual hometown. They shared a few pleasantries, then Vinny asked the man his name. Much to his astonishment, Vinny and this man shared the same last name. It only took a few more seconds for Vinny to realize he was meeting his father's younger brother for the first time. (laughs) Astonishing. That's right. Uncle and nephew from different parts of the world randomly met for the first time when one of them was liberating the other from a World War II concentration camp. I personally can't imagine any coincidence more unlikely than this. Well, there are, though. (laughs) Yes, there There are. There are, though. Uh, From Sam Henderson in Texas. Much to my surprise, I heard my name on your show on the Friday, February 24th episode on News Channel 8. You read a note from Michael Granberry. He mentioned me as an actor he admires, and I'll have you know I have, in fact, been five times as many shows at the Dallas Theater Center as Ari Melber, so his delight <laughs> is well warranted. Okay. I wrote, Michael, I wrote Michael to thank him, but I also told him I hope my newfound celebrity would help me get another note on the show. If you're reading this now, it did. I wrote into the show at the end of 2022 when I was back on the road uh, to Dallas for a production of A Christmas Carol. Perhaps you've heard of it. I sent a message in about the greatest American play, but it didn't get read. Now that Mr. Uh, Mrs. Dr. L has beaten me to the punch, please accept this as a rebuttal. I'm the official resident professor of theater and film at the Tony Kornheiser Show after all. While I've always believed that Our Town is a great play, perhaps even the greatest, it wasn't until I was actually in it, an active participant in the personification of its poetry, that I came to believe that it was even perhaps divinely inspired. It's that prescient, that universal, that beautiful. And while it might reside pretty high up in the Heisman House of Great American Plays, maybe even Death of a Salesman is its roommate and Long Day's Journey is always drinking in the corner and you have to get past August Wilson's fences to get in, alas, these remarkable selections are not the greatest. The penthouse occupant is unequivocally Lorraine Hansberry's A Raisin in the Sun. And if anybody wants to argue with me, I have it upon the authority of one Michael Ray Wilbon that you can get deported. Get out. (laughs) I won't write a dissertation on it here. That's been done several times over, but I will say this. The same episode this came up was the same episode you had on Jeff Passan. At the end of your conversation with Jeff, you talked about the haves and the have-nots in baseball and how the competitive balance could be affected by this. But that doesn't have to be the, it doesn't have to be should teams so choose. What a coincidence that this is also a microcosm of the American dream. Every opportunity lies before us, but the deck is stacked against some of us. This is what happens to a dream deferred. This is what a raisin in the sun is about. And how quintessentially American is that? That's great. Okay, Sam Henderson, that is great. That is phenomenal. From Jackie McCarthy in uh, Reading, Massachusetts, or Reading, Massachusetts? Reading, Reading, yes. Massachusetts. I'm a little from the WTEM days. I teach aqua fitness at the local YMCA. No Pablo sightings yet, but please accept this invite to drop into my class, which a friend referred to as Cocoon, the musical. Old guy radio, noodle, and water weights included. Can I be the official aqua fitness instructor of the Tony Kornheiser show? Absolutely. B-Y-O-N. Is one in a million a thing? This comes from 
Scott Feist in New Baden, Illinois. Is one in a million a thing? Can't even imagine what the odds are in this. I was raised in a suburb of Rochester, New York called Webster, when in those days um, it had a large Xerox plant where my dad worked. Yeah. I went into the Air Force in 1977. After retiring from military service, I settled in New Baden, Illinois in 1998. Around 2010, I was helping bartend in New Baden at the American Legion for a wedding of a friend of mine's son. My friend's ex-wife and her parents were going to be at the wedding, and they were from a town in upstate New York, 20 miles from where I was raised. Hell of a coincidence, but there's more. He was hoping I'd keep his ex-in-laws entertained since I was from the same area. I got into a conversation with the ex-mother-in-law. She mentioned she worked in my hometown at Xerox, but left in the early 80s when they offered buyouts. I mentioned my dad worked there, taking the buyout also. She said, where'd he work? I said, procurement. She said she worked in procurement. She asked my dad's last name. I said, Feist. With surprise, she said, Harold? I told her Harold was my father. She stood there with a stunned look on her face, and she told me she worked for my dad and then described him to a T. 800 miles in decades past. Can someone ask Rufus what the odds are on this? <laughs> We're going to get these. People are going to write in. Yeah. We're going to get these, and each one is going to make you cry. Yeah, it's amazing. Because it's just amazing. It's just amazing. From Dave Schramm in Colchester, Vermont. I'm with you on food not touching. That is not negotiable and obvious to anyone with a brain. But eating one food grouping completely before moving on to the next seems, well, psychotic. <laughs> My eating strategy, separate your food groups in clockwise order from least enjoyed to most enjoyed. Starting with your least favorite food, you have one bite of each group. Moving clockwise around the plate until all the food is gone, but for one bite of your favorite food. Glad I could help. And that's not psychotic? Wait, and that's not psychotic? From Mike Roseberry in State College, Pennsylvania. First, Chessie's next bout, you should really get Ferdy Pacheco to work the corner. I'm sure you're good at checking for cuts, but you really want yeah, the best in the business. Uh, one more from Ryan Coyle. And we get so many emails and we get backed up. We have hundreds of them. And, yeah. uh, you know, we can't get to all of them just because they're all so they're all good. I just can't yeah. read them all. Um, I wanted to write in and congratulate Chessie on defending her turf and master. There are far too many bozos out there letting their dogs off leash. While I do feel somewhat badly for the other dog, there is only one way for these clowns to learn how to hold on to the bleep and leash. As an owner of a large dog myself, I understand your predicament and slight fear of something bad happening. However, it sounds like Chessie behaves similarly to my dog, Jules, and we can't really ask for much more. She steadfastly follows the road and sidewalk. We'll never ever start a fight. But come too close, too quickly, and she damn sure will end one. I don't know. I, she, like this morning. I'm tired of moving. You know, this morning. Yes. From Brandon Borzelli, our friend in Lebanon, New Jersey. Do you think the owner of the other dog let go of the leash because it was his trailer parked on your street? <laughs> and this was some kind of payback? Could have been. Uh, okay, one more. Frank Hauser, Irving, Texas. Irving, Texas is where the stadium was built. That's right. right? Yeah. That's was, the hole in the roof stadium. Yes. was in Irving, Texas. Last Wednesday, Nigel confirmed Tony was right that Publius Servilius Casca was one of Caesar's assassins. In fact, he was responsible for the first stab. Dr. Tony sounded incredulous as he asked, how can you doubt me on this? As I drove home from the golf course, I shouted out, because you thought Carol O'Connor was English. <laughs> Got on your bike tonight, everyone. Do wear what? You so long. 